And now, what it really means with your hosts, Brad Shepard and Paul Harrell. Welcome to the show, everyone. Of course, I'm your host, Brad Shepard. It is Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the great Paul Harrell. Paul, how's it going? It's going good. Communism sucks, and uh, so does the intentional crashing of the United States economy. Yeah, it's it's a real problem. And, you know, I don't know that it's impacting everyone right now. It's just in the phase of it's impacting some, and it's going to continue to get much worse. And I think that's when people will really feel it and really begin to understand. But, uh, Paul, all the signs are there that we're in for a really tough time economically uh, moving forward. They are. Uh, we were just kind of talking about this uh, before the show, but you know, I, you've got December 8th is now this deadline, right? You've got uh, uh, American airlines saying you've got till December 8th to get the vaccine. Uh, you've got Boeing just announced that you've got to get the vaccine by December 8th. You've got other government contractors that are, doing the same thing. And so <clears throat> you're going to have, and these are by, by the way, technical jobs, especially the, uh, the engineering ones. So you're going to have people that are going to leave their jobs. They're going to be fired. I don't think their religious exemptions are going to be approved because a lot of these uh, giant corporations have been infiltrated by the communist party of China. Uh, that is, you know, we we've covered that in the past. And so when that happens, it's not going to be the entire workforce, but it's going to be a significant percentage of the workforce, in my opinion. And then there's not exactly a bunch of people that are willing to uh, uh, that are just sitting there ready with these kinds of skills that are going to replace the Boeing. Workforce, for example, so you're going to have the people that are vaccinated that remain there. They're going to likely uh, get frustrated because their workload's going to increase and who knows they may even quit. Now, all this is going to happen while we have these shipping lanes that are completely, you know, just jam packed or, you know, to a crawl because they're having to follow COVID protocols. They're having to make sure that, you know, everybody in the ship tests negative and and it's just a complete nightmare. You know, it's creating everything from the computer chip sh shortages, uh, you know, that that are that are there for car manufacturers and everything else. And it's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And it's affecting everything. It's affecting the food on the shelves. It's going to affect. By the way, all of this is also happening, Brad. You know, you mentioned inflation. So that's happening, too. Your money isn't going as far as it used to be. And and last week on what it really means, one of the things I said was, because I was a tackling this argument, you know, in, in light of now Governor Greg Abbott of Texas issuing an executive order saying no state entity in Texas is going to be able to force the vaccine. You have people in uh, Texas that are going to ignore it. Um, go, uh, you know, government contractors are going to ignore it. And then you have even the Methodist Hospital in Houston is going to ignore this vaccine. Um, but I said the other day, I said, you know, I think the government should regulate, quote, private companies. Because if the CIA will spy and attempt to blackmail and torpedo the president of the United States just because they don't like his agenda, what do you think they do to these CEOs of these major corporations to get them to implement their agenda? And right now, that agenda is to essentially rot 
the rest of the apple that is America, so it will just fall into the hands of the communist Chinese. Brad. Yeah, I mean, you know, I floated that theory that what if this was released intentionally by China to destroy our economy? If that was a theory heard in the war room with Steve Bannon. It's a very fascinating theory. And if that were to be true, and I'm not saying it is, I don't know. I'm just saying it would be very successful if it were, because look where we're at, and they would have been able to do it without firing a single bullet. Yeah, it's really incredible the impact this has had. And now we know Jen Psaki has admitted at a White House press briefing that they're going to use this opportunity to change the economy forever. Uh, So scary, scary times, you know, and again, we've got prices just rapidly rising compared to the Trump administration. And as we get more shortages, whatever these supplies may be that are important or food or whatnot, the inflation, it's going to go up like there's going to be even more inflation. And as people are out of work, you know, um, they're not going to be able to afford anything to support their families. This is literally devolving us into a third world country with just a, a poor working class versus the elites. And we've got to get this administration out of office. Um, you know, and the Republicans are just feckless and worthless and doing absolutely essentially nothing as this all happens. Right. I mean, that's, you know, they caved on, the debt ceiling, right? You had, I think it was 11 or so Republicans. So that was, you know, we're still spending like crazy. That was extended. We're just on a a major collision course uh, for financial disaster uh, at this rate if something doesn't change. And I don't see anything changing with the current administration in charge. No, you're you're exactly right. I don't I don't see anything changing either. Um, you know, the question is if the, I said at the beginning, you know, communism sucks and so does the intentional uh, destruction of the U.S. economy. I mean, you, you that's a pretty loaded thing to say. I get it. I understand um, because you know you would want to know. Okay, well, to what end? Well, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, we just spent the last year and a half now. We're we're now going to get we're getting close to two years. Where, you know, people got stimulus checks, uh, you know, people got a lot of unemployment, uh, which, you know, if the government says that you can't go to work, I I understand all that. I'm not arguing. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who are uh, very much now used to the idea of the government taking care of them more so than they were two years ago. And if the economy now collapses, whether it's intentional or not. You, you you better well know that these communists will have the solution and it will be more, more dependency and less freedom. Uh, and we've already seen how quickly our freedoms disappear. The idea that you can just be outside and your face is exposed to some on the left is madness, offensive, dangerous. Uh, the idea that you would go to a school board meeting and express your opinion as a parent is now considered by the U.S. Justice Department a potential act of terrorism. Our freedoms are 
are are being eliminated faster than I than I thought possible. You know, the the whole idea of this, you know, socialist microwave communism is supposed to be gradual. But for whatever reason, maybe it was the fact that Trump really set them back a decade that they have just put the foot on the gas and they are attempting to completely transform. And so, and I said the other day, look, I, I get it. Spending's bad, debt ceiling, whatever. I still, I'm at this point, I'm of the opinion that if there is some sort of financial, um, you know, crisis, it'll be a manufactured one because I just think there's so many people at the top that don't, that, that know something we don't know. And so based on that, uh, it's it's a perfect uh, uh, you know it's a perfect time perfect way to get what they want which is more power more of an elite just like you said Brad and less freedom and more of us depending on them for everyday sustenance and not even that just like being able to go outside without a mask on um, so many people are now being trained to they are being trained like animals like livestock to be obedient. And right now it's the vaccines and there are people out there who are judging their fellow Americans for not getting the vaccine. And they think, well, I'm doing my part. I'm getting the vaccine. Well, you know what? All of you unvaccinated people out there listening, you need to understand at this point, you're doing your part by not getting vaccinated and and, and holding to the line of your conscience. You're doing your part, standing up and saying this is madness has got to stop. Yeah, I, I mean, the the troubling thing to me ultimately in this, Paul, is, you know, the government is making their move, right? I mean, that's just what they're doing. But how many people are going along with this? And, well, how do you make that easy to do? Well, you divide everybody. You make it as divisive as possible. And so that's that's what we're seeing. I want to share this with you. I thought this was really interesting. It's not about economics, but it is along the lines, essentially, of race. And it was a new poll that came out last week from the University of Virginia and Project Home Fire. 84% of Trump voters who responded to the survey say they either strongly or somewhat agree that discrimination against whites will increase in the U.S. in the next few years. So we, we've got that. And by contrast, 87% of Biden voters said they believe white people have advantages over people of color. 91% of Biden voters believe that systemic racism is an issue in America. And there was another piece to it as well about religion where 84% of Trump voters are concerned Christianity, more particularly, is strongly or somewhat under attack. So when I, I read these results from this survey, the thing that stood out to me, Paul, in, in reading the data was this is the tale of two Americas. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Biden voters, Brad, uh, the Biden voters who... I guess they don't acknowledge that there is this anti-white sentiment that's now totally popular. You know what they remind me of? I was thinking about this the other day. They remind me of, uh, you know, that kid on the playground that's just getting made fun of relentlessly 
but is too stupid to get it. Like too stupid to understand that all of these people actually hate him. Like they don't they don't really come out and say it quite yet, but they're actually very, very mean. They play practical jokes. And it's like obvious from an adult or other kids, like, hey man, these kids really don't like you, and you're just too stupid to figure it out. You know how you that's how I look at these these uh these these liberals, these white liberals especially. They remind me of these kids who just don't know how to get the message that people don't like you. Like I, you know, just look at the headlines and look at the uh the absolute contempt for people just because they're white is a thing and it's becoming more and more prevalent and to say it is somehow it really makes people uncomfortable. I know this because six months ago it made me uncomfortable to even admit yeah. it. Like you would say it and I would be like, man, that makes me uncomfortable. Why does it make me feel uncomfortable? Because we have been conditioned to really, honestly, this is actually to our credit, to, to attempt to really embrace this idea of Martin Luther King and trying to trying to not see color and mm -hmm. trying to actually treat people just based on you know who they are their character, not what they look like. And so it's been very offensive to say, well, man, I feel discriminated against because I'm white. Um, but it's, but it's, it's there, you know, it's right there in CRT. It's, it's there. It's all, it's prevalent in our culture. If you'll just look for it. Yeah. I mean, we've been cutting edge in the show talking about that issue. Um, and they use that against us. We, we judge people based on the content of their character. I personally have people in my family and in friends of all races. Um, so there's never been an issue for me. And I know people have different experiences and blah, blah, blah. Um, but this has definitely been used by, by our elites to divide and they know exactly what they're doing, right? I mean, they have, they have used this against us. There's never been a better time in this country to be a minority, uh, to be a black person, to be someone who's, LGBTQ, that's that's the reality. Um, they've been elevated, right? And it's become okay to single out and attack white people. And again, that you know makes us uncomfortable to say, well, the truth is often uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't be said. And there's a real good example that I want to move to this. We woo John Gruden, the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know if you saw this, Paul, but he's out. He's no longer the coach of that team. After I mean, the NFL, they went through 650,000 emails in the Washington Redskins investigation. And, and <laughs> essentially, I, I think one or, you know, whatever, uh, a tiny amount of emails came up where, John Gruden, who was not an NFL coach at the time, who did not work for the NFL at any capacity, and who was using his own private email account. He was at the time working for ESPN. But he sent an email, oh yes, about DeMarie Smith, who was the um, executive director of the NFL Players Association. He sent it to a team executive in Washington, and the email described Smith with a racist trope common in anti-black imagery. It says Demoris Smith, and it's intentionally misspelled as in dumb, dumb Morris instead of D. Maurice. 
Demora Smith has lifts the size of Michelin tires. He wrote in the email reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. And there was apparently some other things in there as well. It really took off from the racial factor, but he also called Roger Goodell. And again, the language I'm using is from the emails is not mine, but he called Roger Goodell a faggot and a clueless anti-football pussy. And (laughs) said that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher, then the coach of the Rams, to draft queers, uh, a reference to Michael Sam, who was a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. It was absolutely awful and didn't make it. So uh, apparently his toxic masculinity continued where he um, exchanged emails with uh, Alan and other men that included photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms, including one photo of two Washington team cheerleaders. Oh, no, not that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. so it really did take off with you know, the race piece, and then these others were added after the fact. Again, they reviewed 650,000 emails. Think about that. And this is the worst that they found. He wasn't with Washington. He wasn't part of the NFL at all. It was from his private email account. So why did um, why was this leaked? It, it had nothing to do with the initial purpose of the investigation. Right. But these emails are somehow leaked to the media. It's almost like they were trying to present a narrative or attack someone that they didn't like. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, but. It really gets to the heart of the issue here when we talk about that there's never been a better time to be, um, you know, a minority in America. I mean, there was a black person awarded a million dollars because he heard the N-word at work. Again, he should not have heard that, but he sued and won just a ridiculous amount of money. But you got John Gruden, and I'm making the parallel here. And so, you know, if, if John Gruden... And you tell me if you agree, Paul. And if you don't, that's okay. But in these emails, if he had mocked straight people, insulted the looks of a white man, and said Christians are stupid, he'd still be employed as the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders today. Absolutely, you're completely you're completely right. He would still be the coach, and you know both of those things are you know, newsflash. Not good things to say, you know, in, in in context, if we're just really talking about, hey, here's a football coach who isn't perfect. Right. Like whether it was what he actually wrote or what you suggested he could he could have written hypothetically, we would say, you know, he's not perfect. And so what we have here is just absolutely ridiculous, you know, moral outrage that's only you know, it's it's totalitarian. You know, we want we don't want John Gruden to be a football coach unless mm-hmm. he totally agrees with every single one of our conflicting worldviews. Yeah. Now, if John Gruden was the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders and he sent that email as the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders and it came out and they said, hey, you know, we can't we can't have this, you know. And they and they said, you need to you need to resign. That would be a lot more understandable. Again, that is not the case whatsoever. This was a long time ago using a private email account. He did not work for the NFL law. Now he does. But 
kind of making my point, uh, paralleling back to the racial narrative. Let's take a look at who's performing at the halftime of the Super Bowl. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and others. So as we combed through 650,000 emails and found a couple of bad ones, why are we okay with propping up people like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg who talk about killing cops, who mistreat women, who promote drug use and violence and murder? Why is that okay? Should we dig into Dr. Dre's emails from 10 years ago? And let's take it a step further with Deshaun Watson, who's been accused of sexually assaulting 24 different women. He is currently eligible to play in the NFL. So what we have here is John Gruden forced to resign. Mean words. Deshaun Watson sexually assaulted 24 women, allegedly eligible to play still. Actions used to matter more than words, and it's now the reverse. Well, and, you know, you're right. And to your point, I don't know if you've caught up or or been uh, watching this Dave Chappelle controversy. So for the last several years, Dave Chappelle has had this Netflix contract where he's come out with, you know, three four, five specials. He just released his latest one. And in every one of these specials, it has been, quite frankly, I would say just refreshing to to watch because he is so politically incorrect. I mean, to the point where it is just so great. And, and uh, you know, for somebody to just say something that's number one funny and say something that we're told we can't say, we can't laugh about, and yet he's doing it. Keep in mind, Dave Chappelle's a black comedian, though. And, you know, he he does rip and tell a lot of jokes on the LGBTQ, uh, I don't know, uh, organization. <laughs> I'm not going to say the C word. I'm trying to discipline myself here. Um, and, and and it's really, really funny and controversial, right? But the CEO of Netflix just released a statement and said, Dave Chappelle's just too popular with our viewers. People like this and it's comedy and it's art. But if Dave Chappelle were white, and he would have ripped on the LGBT. I mean, he he said uh, he said their genitalia isn't isn't you know a, a trans woman's genitalia isn't actually a female genitalia. He says it's like Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger. <laughs> and then he and then he says uh, he says that's not blood, that's beet juice. <laughs> and then the Netflix, the, the, the Netflix, whoever directed this thing, the camera guy then cuts to these two women who are clearly in the LGBTQ, uh, audience and, uh, or, and one of them looks trans and the look on their face is just one of complete disgust. And, and so, you know, to your point, Brad, I, you know, you, you say it's, it's really good to be a minority in America. Now I agree. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad for Dave Chappelle. Matter of fact, I think that if you watch that stand-up, I uh, I actually think Dave kind of hid behind. He kept saying that I'm my I don't have a problem with LGBT people. I have a problem with white people and white racism. And I honestly think he was just playing them. I I don't really believe. Don't get me wrong. He's made a lot of jokes in the past that are hilarious about race relations in America. Sure. But you know, it was funny. He tried to hide behind that, and the LGBT people still come after him. The mafia still comes after them. And yet oh, yeah. Netflix says, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep his specials on the air. 
Yeah, it's very, very fascinating how the rules are different because he is so popular. Um, and I, it, it parallels a little bit to it's about COVID, but Kyrie Irving and how is that going to play out with the NBA? He's refusing to um, essentially he's been been told, I guess, actually, that he can't return to practice or play. Uh, for for the Nets organization until he's vaccinated. So yeah, he's the latest. He's, out. I, he's one of the biggest superstars in in well, the league. What's weird is the I don't I don't know if the headline I saw was current. It said that they are going to let him play on the road. Did you hear that? That they were going to let him play road games, but he can't play home games. I had we, not heard that, but I, you know what? That there's no science behind that, so that makes complete sense. Yeah, because none of it has sense. science behind yeah, it. That's yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. But I just thought, man, that's you know, that's crazy. Uh, you know, if that is the status of the story right now, um, I mean, what? First of all, that's horrible for for a basketball team, but uh, for you know to have continuity and to not be able to practice and to not show up to work in New York, but you're going to be able to show up. I you know you wonder if the if the Nets will start holding practices outside of the state of New York. Yeah, honestly, that's it's complete craziness. Um, you know, and you got Joe Biden who just gave another speech, and he says, "Yeah, you can't spread COVID if you have the vaccine." That is demonstrably, provably false. Yes, and coming from the president of the United States on mainstream television to Americans everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, you don't get corrected, but I'm pretty sure uh, he, he won't get corrected. But I'm, I know the CDC, uh, the head of the CDC, she was on CNN weeks ago saying that, yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, co- uh, va- or vaccinated people can, in fact, spread the disease. So, I mean, of course, that got you banned six months ago. We've talked about that. This continues to happen. You, you'll get banned. Uh, and, you know, I tell you one of the things right now they're about to start banning people for. At least this is my prediction. Those people who claim that Southwest Airlines, okay, this is a fascinating story. Southwest Airlines, Brad, having these massive flight delays, okay, and flight cancellations, and they are adamant that it has nothing to do with the vaccine and it has nothing to do with pilots going on any any sort of strike. To the point where their CEO says there's no truth, quote, there's the CEO of Southwest Airlines, quote, there's just no evidence of that. Our people are working very hard. They're doing a great job. I'm very proud of them. Now, this is in this is a a quote from an ABC News interview that was done on Tuesday with the CEO of Southwest Airlines. And he is now saying, okay, that they're not going to fire people for not getting the vaccine. They said they're going to try to enforce the government's mandate, but they're not going to fire people for not getting the mandate. So to me, I think this is a huge capitulation. I think it's obvious that the Southwest Airlines, uh, I mean, we've got statements from pilots out there. I think it's obvious that there's some sort of coordination going on. Yeah. Uh, But what's funny is that the mainstream media is doing everything they can to tell you that, that's not happening. And so, um, you know, they really they really got to get their, uh, you know, state controlled communist media, uh, uh, you know, apparatus activated to keep other people from realizing the truth. Oh, absolutely. It's really incredible. Um, you know how all of these stories with everything 
are being covered up right now uh, by the communists, right? By the people in the government, the people in the media, all working together and covering this. It's it's really fascinating. You know, they had the protests there at the Capitol building in Michigan. And you've got one of the representatives there saying it was the most secure election ever. You know, the presidential election. And just repeating these drone talking points that are obviously false. You know, they, they just, they aren't going to ever admit it. I mean, you have to realize these people are not going to be honest. They're not seekers of the truth we just found out in fulton county in georgia they are in the spotlight again well what happened is two employees last week were fired after they allegedly shredded a number of paper voter registration applications oops yeah um this is uh, nothing to see here, right? I mean, I, I thought there was absolutely no way, shape, or form, you know, the, the election is the most secure election, uh, you know, in the history of the United States, Brad. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't see how this is, uh, this is an issue at all, you know? It sounds like they got to nearly 300 applications, uh, shredding them before they were caught. Want to take a guess? <laughs> I notice here, I'm, I'm looking at this and I don't see... I don't see a party affiliation here as to who who they are shredding, but I have a good idea who what may be going on here. You know, it's those evil Republicans. You know, they're probably just shredding the damn ballots and registration. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re Republicans. We got to get rid of the Republican <laughs> crats, uh ballots. Yeah. Oh man, just unbelievable. The election, of course, and uh, and the fight for that does continue. Uh, we've got to fix it. But, you know, Paul, as we talk about this and trying to get uh, a Republican, uh, President Trump, maybe back into office, it sounds like Ron DeSantis is not going to run. That's what he said, at least now. OK, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, Trump is back in, you know, complete driver's seat, controlling his destiny. Everyone says he's going to run now. I thought this was really interesting because. You know, we had talked about the Julian Assange story and potentially Mike Pompeo wanting to have him assassinated. Well, now it's being reported by Jack Posobiec that Mike Pompeo plans on running and trying to primary Donald Trump in 2024. Interesting. OK, now that is extremely interesting. I had not read that. I don't even know what to think about that. Hmm. What do you, what do you, I, what do you think about that, Brad? Because see, I kind of wrote that story off about him trying to assassinate Assange. I just kind of wrote it off as total nonsense because it was coming at a time where the Dems and Joe Biden's, you know, job job approval. It was just a bad time for them, so I just assumed it was false. So I, maybe maybe it was true. Yeah, I tend to believe it was true. I think there was even some comment after about how the people who leaked it should be punished or something or another. I do believe it, and I believe that Mike Pompeo is going to be, you know, a tool of the national security state, uh, a neocon. I, I do believe he is going to try to primary Donald Trump, and he will be very unsuccessful. But, mm. you know, it creates a, an interesting scenario because Donald Trump is the clear front runner again. Uh, and, and we would assume he's going against Kamala Harris. I, I just don't see with Joe Biden 
I mean, the guy is completely out of it at this point. You know, all the work they go through just to make him appear presentable. You know, it's got to be tiring. So you're thinking maybe Kamala Harris, maybe Biden, but I think Kamala Harris. So he's really in a prime position to win in 2024. But Paul, all the problems we're discussing right now in our country with us devolving into the third world, I don't feel like 2024, I don't feel like we can wait at this yeah, point. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, I, and I've been listening to Steve Bannon and, you know, he's he's been saying that this has got to get fixed before 2024, just in terms of you know, the fraud and, and everything else. And I, I don't even know, you know, every, if you if you posit that to anybody, you know, who thinks that they know anything, they're going to, you know, give you this, you know, well, this is uh, there's, there's just no solution that's unprecedented and everything else. And they just want to act like there's nothing we can do. And they they by doing that, by ignoring this problem, you ignore the other problem, which is how do we really go to the polls with our heads held high if if we can't fix that? I want to stop, though, Brad. I want to go back to the Mike Pompeo thing, because here, here's why I thought it was, you know, I, I, I still I'm kind of I don't know. I don't know what I think about Pompeo. It's now if he runs against Trump and really, truly does do this, I think that'll be our answer. But the reason I'm hesitant is because his 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 policy on China, at least in words, I mean, he looked at the nation's governors at the United States, at the, at the National Governors Association. And he told them all that they had lists of those that were cooperating with the Communist Chinese Party, who who the Chinese viewed favorably, who the Chinese viewed neutral, and who the Chinese viewed hostile. And uh, I don't know what that means, but I'm just saying typically right now, those who are in the, uh, the surveillance state, if you will, love the Communist Chinese. Now, I could be wrong about that, but that's just my observation. No, I mean you're you're actually right. Pompeo is uh, someone who seems to take a hard line on China, um, and and I've talked about this before. But yeah, our our deep state, our national security state, yeah, um, they they don't like China. They actually don't. Uh, the Biden administration loves China, as we know, but the actual national security state they they don't like China. Um, so they are in alignment with Pompeo on that. You even look in his social media, the statements he's making are very in line with someone who is a, like a just a typical Republican who's getting ready to run for office. Like he's he's beginning to attack Joe Biden with these very, very basic bitch Republican tweets. Um, you know, like <laughs> you'll have to look at it. But yeah, to, no, to no, understand I, I, I mean, But yeah, it, yeah. it's. So it's like, okay, why would he be doing that at this point? It gives me something more to think about and more to research, honestly. But yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, if I'll go, to, I'll take a look at his tweets as well, um, because yeah, I mean, if it if it is looking like he's about to run, that would be honestly. I, I really think Donald Trump would have no problem beating him. Uh, yeah. Pompeo would though. Pompeo would be going for the. Uh, you know, he'd be going for that Mitt Romney vote that, that's that that still they loved that they they really miss Trump now. But, you know, they're those. Well, we wish you wouldn't, you know, have mean tweets. But it's like, hey, man, give me mean tweets. Give me cheap gas. You just give me you give me all yeah. of that back, please, right now. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think and Donald Trump's base right now is growing. 
And that's what the mainstream media is so mad about right now, honestly, is is mm. in spite of all of this, MAGA hasn't gone anywhere. In spite of the federal op that was January 6th, uh, the, the base is not discouraged. Um, the base has not gone anywhere. His base has now grown. And so, I, you know, I think anybody that would try to primary him um, is going to lose. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, but again, I, I just don't think it can wait. And I don't know if that means he's got to be Speaker of the House, whatever's got to happen. But, you know, the problem is the Republicans aren't cooperating. They are just laying over for Joe Biden. You know, if, even if you don't have the votes, force the Democrats to use their majority to move something forward. Dare them to change the rules and do it. I mean, they're already threatening it anyway, right? But you got Joe Manchin said he's not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. You might as well put it back on them. I mean, just stick up for your people for once and show you have some backbone rather than say yes to to what the Democrats are doing. I mean, that's what they did. They said, okay, fine. If you're not going to expand the debt ceiling so that we can get through the year, we're just going to change the rules and we are going to just make it so we need a majority and we don't have to worry about it. Pull their bluff. Do something. I mean, Mitch McConnell is got to be one of the worst Republican leaders in Congress ever. Yeah, you know, he's got that he got that China connection. Old Mitch does. Um, I will say this about Manchin. Um, I don't know if you saw the story where he put his hands in his head and was just like very frustrated at Chuck Schumer. So they passed the debt ceiling. And then Chuck Schumer then proceeds to go down to the floor of the Senate and blast Republicans and just make a, you know, kind of, a, I don't know, just kind of pile on, if you will, even though they had just done something that I guess, you know, theoretically everybody wanted to happen or thought was a good thing, whether or not we think it's a good thing or not. And he's in the background putting his hands on his head and allegedly, con- you know, confronted Schumer or, you know, some other lieutenants after it and just said, that's just unnecessary, you know. I think he said it was effing stupid is what he is what he was quoted as saying. Anyway, I'm not saying I don't know. It was just uh, just a data point. I don't really know what it means. Uh, but Manchin is certainly his own his own uh, breed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, boy. And stuff continues to come out about um, January 6th. Right. I mean, we know about the federal foreknowledge. We know what's going on uh, with the Oath Keepers in particular. Revolver News is on top of this. It's just exposed the whole thing. And so maybe we can go through some of that article. I can get your take on this, Paul. Because this is one of those stories that we cannot let go. We can't. Even if you get tired of talking about it, we have to stay on top of it because they're hoping you'll get tired of it. But we have to keep getting the facts out. It's really important because what do we know? Well, we know people supporting BLM who are committing felonies and violent crimes and shooting cops and they had no charges. We had a lot of people, Trump supporters, were part of this January 6th uh, entrapment, in my opinion. And, And many of them are still in prison today from January without a speedy trial. So we have to talk about this because this is the kind of op 
that the government will continue to do. I mean, we saw it at that was that freedom rally uh, that we talked about and warned everybody not to, you know, the little rally they had there near the Capitol building um, about, you know, the election justice where, you know, they, oh, come on and everyone show up. And and, and yeah. you had like a literal Fed getting busted with a weapon. They didn't realize it was a Fed undercover. And now the they're crowd. on assignment. Now they're on assignment at the you know Loudoun County School Board meeting next month, I'm sure. Yeah, literally. So so that's why we have to talk about this. Uh, so yes, the Oath Keepers, they're the highest profile and most extensively prosecuted militia group associated with the events of January 6th. We know that. Uh, so far, the government has charged a total of 18 Oath Keepers with conspiring to obstruct Congress's certification of the 2020 presidential election. That's a serious conspiracy charge, and it could potentially lead to decades of prison time. Oddly enough, though, Oath Keepers founder and leader Stuart Rhodes himself has not been charged with anything, despite the fact that the government cites Rhodes' own statements and actions as largely constitutive of the conspiracy for which so many of his underlings face charges. Of course, Revolver News previously covered that I'd say pretty extensively in a major piece uh, that they did on their site. So apart from any charges of conspiracy, there's no doubt that based on his actions on January 6th, Stuart Rhodes could be prosecuted for trespassing on U.S. Capitol grounds. In fact, just last Thursday, approximately 20 FBI vehicles swooped in on the home of Oath Keepers associate Jeremy Brown, searched his belongings for five and a half hours, and took all of his cell phones and electronics. They justified their entire raid on Brown on a minor alleged trespassing offense. That's right. All of that for a trespassing offense. Can you imagine that? So Stuart Rhodes is on record and on video committing the exact same trespassing offense, a fact that has also been stipulated in court. Of course, this all raises serious questions that the government and its press lackeys have yet to answer. Why has the government avoided indicting Rhodes on an easy layup trespassing charge? Why are they protecting him from indictment on more serious conspiracy charges? And if, after nine months of investigation, the feds eventually hit Rhodes with a minor charge like trespassing, rather than the more serious conspiracy charge so many of his underlings face with the Oath Keepers, what would that imply? So let's look at that, because I think those questions uh, are, are really important. But let's state one thing. If Stuart Rhodes were to be charged with trespassing, obviously it would be a very stupid and illegitimate charge, just like it would be for any other January 6th attendee who never went inside the Capitol building. But if the Justice Department wants to, levying such a charge would be inescapable based on the aggressive prosecutorial standard it's already established for January 6 cases. Now back to the case of Jeremy Brown. The Justice Department explained in its peculiar arrest affidavit for Brown, who's an Army Green Beret veteran and also an Oath Keeper associate, that anyone who sets foot Anywhere in a giant swath of land ranging from the Capitol's west side lawn to its east side promenade is technically guilty of trespassing. Uh, so 
in the article, there's actually a map of the area showing the restricted grounds. Uh, there's a red line marking around the restrict. I mean, it's just a, it's an enormous area, uh, Paul. Just just to be really clear, like I'm looking not, at the article right now. Yeah, it's humongous. you don't even have to be like close to the Capitol building to be charged with this. It's crazy. Under ordinary circumstances, these grounds are open to the public and not restricted. That's important to know as well. But because law enforcement erected some police barriers in fencing there on January 6, barriers that were all but removed before most of the attendees even arrived at the Capitol building, mind you, thousands of Trump supporters unknowingly crossed an imaginary line. They unknowingly crossed an imaginary line, effectively walking into a trap. Now, when the FBI arrested Oath Keeper Associate Jeremy Brown for trespassing, they said he was standing on the east side promenade and therefore he was technically more than 100 feet within the restricted grounds. And then there's an image of the court document showing that's exactly what they said. So and they provide his location of where he would be. And again, on the restricted area grounds, which is a broad spectrum. Now, Stuart Rhodes, the head of the Oath Keepers I mentioned, was actually standing on the Capitol steps even deeper into that restricted zone than Brown. Don't believe me? Well, in the article, there's a literal image and a video of Rhodes on the Capitol steps between 335 and 341 p.m. on January 6th. It is undeniable. At the time the video was taken, at least 14 of Rhodes' lieutenants had just been inside the Capitol building. On the steps, the Oath Keepers came out to meet their leader, Rhodes, who had been waiting for them to file out one by one. Rhodes' presence on the Capitol steps is well known to the Justice Department, as it has been since January 6th. But instead of charging Rhodes like they just charged Jeremy Brown, the DOJ has instead weaponized Rhodes' presence in the Capitol steps as corroborating evidence that the Oath Keepers were following a common conspiracy to obstruct the Senate vote because they were following their common leader, Rhodes. <clears throat> it's, it's truly baffling. So an hour before the meetup at the Northeast entrance, Rhodes had been all over the Southeast entrance, too. In the below photo, and they show a photo in the article, Rhodes was not just at the bottom of the steps waiting for his men to come out, but he was at the very top of the southeast entrance minutes before his men went in through the main Columbus doors. Isn't that interesting? So according to court records from this location, Rhodes instructed his Oath Keeper lieutenants at 2.14 p.m. to come to south side of Capitol on steps. This was just two minutes after protesters shattered glass windows for the very first time. Rhodes even sent his men a picture of the Capitol steps so they couldn't miss it. Rhodes then texted his Oath Keeper leaders, Patriots pounding on doors, and sent another picture. Rhodes regularly calls Oath Keeper leaders Patriots. In other words, Oath Keepers pounding on doors. Per court records, Rhodes texted Patriots pounding on doors at 2.41 p.m. That very minute, Rhodes' men in the military stack had just breached the main Capitol doors. So he's setting up the operation where his own men, he's directing them to breach the Capitol doors. It's simply indisputable that Rhodes was texting his followers while inside in a legally restricted zone. Again, it's absurd and, of course, unjust for the government to charge anyone for such a petty offense. It's, it's completely ridiculous, but 
the fact that so many people were were charged with trespassing on Capitol grounds just raises even more questions regarding the government's selective prosecution of Oath Keepers and others. So former D agent Mark Ibrahim is another unfortunate capital trespasser who's being railroaded by the feds. Uh, he was charged with trespassing. The Justice Department said he was approximately 180 feet inside the restricted zone at 2.10 p.m. Uh, he was standing on a patch of grass close to the Peace Monument. <laughs> so he, uh, he kind of he went on Tucker Carlson, apparently explained the whole deal uh, to him on his show. So circling back to the Green Bay vet, uh, veteran Jeremy Brown, who was charged with trespassing for just standing on the east side steps that Stuart Rhodes was also standing on. The prosecution for Brown for such a minor crime after so long a time is an extremely curious development. Brown's arrest on September 30 comes nine months after January 6. So much time had elapsed after or that the DOJ's Capital Breach Cases site, which for months was pinned to the top of the justice.gov sidebar, is gone from the homepage. Yet one would think at this point new cases would only arise because of new evidence. That would make sense, right? You have new evidence, obviously, you know, you could understand that. But there's no new evidence. It's not new evidence that caused them to arrest Jeremy Brown. They knew exactly where he was on January 6th, and per the FBI's affidavit, they even called Brown directly. Both on January 6th and again on January 7, Brown plainly told them where he was. The FBI even served a search warrant on Verizon on January 6th itself, which identified Brown's cell phone coordinates as being inside the Capitol restricted grounds. So again, given the fact that Brown and Ibrahim were brought in on you know these ridiculous trespassing charges, why hasn't Stuart Rhodes similarly been arrested? Well, of course, to answer these questions, we must first recount the extraordinary role Rhodes plays in the Oath Keepers conspiracy case. Based on the government's own theory of the case against Rhodes' alleged lieutenants. Remember, conspiracy is the primary and most serious offense Rhodes' alleged lieutenants are facing. We will then address the likelihood and implications of Rhodes facing some sort of criminal charges as the early 2022 trials for the Oath Keepers draw near. Now, the total protection of Stuart Rhodes for nine months and counting. So just kind of recapping that bombshell report. Rhodes established the Oath Keepers conspiracy. Rhodes recruited people into the conspiracy. Rhodes organized and gave key instructions to the conspirators. Rhodes suggested the use of illegal weapons such as collapsible batons. Rhodes activated the conspiracy in real time via text messages and phone calls to his lieutenants. Rhodes waited on the Capitol steps for the completion of the conspiracy. Rhodes congratulated everyone on a conspiracy well done afterward. So this is a very curious case here. Um, to appreciate the magnitude of Rhodes' role in the prosecution's conspiracy case against his own Oath Keeper's underlings, Here's a few facts. The Oathkeeper indictment cites 18 phone calls as evidence of coordination of a common conspiracy. Stuart Rhodes is the person either calling or being called in 10 of these 18 phone calls. That's right. Rhodes makes or receives 55% of all phone calls in a massive conspiracy case spanning 16 defendants. Go figure. Just a little suspicious there. When you combine phone calls involving Rhodes 
and those involving the mysteriously unindicted person 10 who Rhodes appointed his ground commander for the day. That number rises to, can you guess, Paul, 100% of all phone calls. Isn't that interesting? 100% of all phone calls prosecutors cite as evidence implicating 16 defendants in coordinating January 6th's biggest conspiracy involved two people who were not even charged. Even though together, Rhodes and Person 10 allegedly led the day's ground operations and even had a direct joint three-way phone call with the head of the Oath Keepers military stack at the very same minute the stack allegedly assembled to enter the Capitol building. Wow. I mean, the article goes on, uh, but the point is the evidence continues to mount that this was a federal operation. So if they if they arrest this guy, if they ever actually arrest Rhodes and they charge him with a similar situation, there's going to be, uh, you know, his he, he would have his day in court and presumably all this would come out. Right. That would be very interesting. I mean, the uh, I mean, I'm just reading the Revolver article here at the at the tech, you know, towards the end, um, <clears throat> they, they, they write, but they have a big problem. All roads, meaning the feds, have a big problem. All roads in the January 6th event lead back to roads. So if roads is a fed, that would mean the government used a fake anti-government front group to attack itself and frame the sitting president and his supporters for the crime. Hmm. Hmm. Very, very interesting. And again, this is why it's so important to talk about this. And again, Revolver is leading everybody in this investigation. They're doing tremendous work. So important. Um, how many people do you think even know about this, Paul? That's the that's the scary part. That's why, you know, all this stuff ends up coming about like way after the fact. And, you know, people forget about you can't forget about this. The information has to come out. We can't let this go. We have to understand at this point how politicized and corrupt our system is. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to the amount of technological power that they have and uh, when in the amount of surveillance power that they have. Of course, this is kind of old school, though. I mean, you know, th this, you know, I, I, I'm assuming that the lieutenants in this Oath Keepers group are pretty old school themselves. Uh, but, you know, this is just old school uh in infiltrating, you know, infiltration, um, you know, what, what, are, what are they called it in law enforcement? You know, when you're on the, you're undercover, you know, you're on assignment, mm -hmm. uh, for years in some cases. So it's just really disturbing. It, it, I think if you look up some of the other things historically that the U S government has proposed, this isn't far off from that. And uh, it's going to be really interesting because politically they have to prosecute these people in order to stay in line with the narrative that the media has sold people. But if they actually arrest this guy Rhodes, the leader, the actual leader who is, you know, on video doing everything that they say the other guys they have in custody are doing, and he's the actual one giving the orders, then you would have a government agent giving the orders. It it's a. Uh, Man, it's just so far, uh, so far, the government is being weaponized and used against the people uh, illegally, and something's got to be done about it. I don't know what, but something's got to be done. 
Absolutely, it does. And each and every week, we'll continue to talk about it as new information evolves and explain what it really means. That's all the time we have this week. Paul, where can everyone reach you on social media? I'm on Gab, and uh, it's Paul Harrell, 1776. Man, Gab is just more and more refreshing. If you're not on it, please get on it. It is so great to, I mean, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I still have an Instagram account, Brad, and I'll, you know, you get some pretty funny memes, you know, they're suppressed, but you get some pretty funny memes on, you get, you get the real talk uh, over on Gab, and it's really refreshing, uh, very much like what I was talking about earlier with some of that Chappelle comedy. Uh, uh, Maybe it's not as dirty as Chappelle can get, but, you know, it's just people able to say stuff that the progressives say that you can't say. And it's just really good and refreshing to hear people just being honest and being free. Yeah, absolutely. That is um, not at a premium right now. We need a lot more of that. We need a lot more platforms like Gab. So uh, amen to that, Paul. You can reach me, of course, on Gab at Brad Shepard. We appreciate your support. Spread the word because this show is really, really important. So we thank you for your support and we will see you next week. 